I'm Jake Corley. And I'm Mark LaCour. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by Red Wing. This is the show for busy oil professionals who want to quickly keep their fingers on the pulse of the industry. Welcome back to another episode of Oil & Gas This Week. You're listening to episode 105. What's going on, Mark? Jake, we've been all so darn busy this year, and it's not even April yet. Um, all good stuff, though, right? We, we're doing a lot of uh, speaking engagements. We're uh, the, All the podcasts are going out and uh, doing press gigs. Uh, we're all doing some uh, good shows. We have a new podcast that we're going to release, uh, Oil & Gas Industry Leaders with uh, Paige, which will she, she will actually um, release that from the Caterpillar booth from the first day of OTC from the OTC floor, which is going to be awesome. Yeah, that's going to be great. I'm really looking forward to that. Really looking forward to getting that rolling and putting out there. I think it's going to be a lot of really great content for all of the listeners. Yeah, and and for our listeners out there, you know, Jake and uh, Jake and I on this show, and Patrick and I on the Oil and Gas HSNE show, we give away some really cool offshore bags. Jake, do you know what Paige is going to give away on her show? You told me, and I'm super jealous. <laughs> I'm jealous too. She's going to give away every week a $200 steak dinner. Oh. Like. I don't know. How I don't do know the last time I ever. I don't dinner. know. I don't. I don't, I don't think I've ever even had a two hundred dollars steak dinner. That's that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, you know, for our listeners out there, pay attention. Uh, as soon as this thing goes live, there's a chance for you to actually um, win one of those two hundred dollars steak dinners. And not only that, but she's gonna be talking to extremely senior people in our industry about their story. How did they get to where they are? What? How? You know, what was the trials and tribulations? So it's gonna be some really good, really deep content. So I'm looking forward to having that show launch. Yeah, that's going to be fantastic. So, uh, want to talk about being on the road? Yeah, let's do it. So our 2017 on-the-road sponsor is Lee Hecht and Harrison. They're global experts in talent management. LH, LHH is currently helping 75% of Fortune 500 oil and gas companies simplify the complexity of leadership and workforce transformation. Uh, in addition yeah, to that, and, go ahead. Yeah, and... For, for their help, for their, uh, you know, for them chipping in and helping us make sure we can uh, go to all these events, uh, we're going to actually be at Geo Convention. So May 15th, 19th in Calgary, Canada. You know, I've talked about Dustin several times. There's still booth space available. Uh, Jake could throw a link in the show notes for Dustin's email address, but he's basically giving you a good booth space for a discount because you're a listener to our show. And Jake and I were actually doing the lunch um, speaking engagement there. So, um, you know, if you're in Calgary, if you're not in Calgary, if, if you're an oil field service company, you want to capture this market that's actually getting ready to uh, ramp up a little bit, take a look at this event. It's a really good event, and we'd love to see you there. That'll be our first official speaking get together, and also my first time to Canada. Never been, so that'll be exciting. Yeah, it, Calgary's a beautiful town. You just don't go there in the winter. <laughs> that's what I hear. <laughs> Yeah, and then we're also going to be at OTC. So a couple of things for OTC. We talked a little bit about Paige launching her show from the Caterpillar booth from the OTC floor. But on, I think, May 2nd, we're actually going to be at the National All Well Shrimp Boil, all of the podcasts. Yep. And we're going to be doing podcasts live from the event. So, you know, if you're, if you're lucky enough to be on an invitation list, come check us out. We're going to have somebody walking around with a, a microphone so you can actually um, ask questions and actually get on the podcast. So looking forward to that. It's not that far away. Um, you know, OTC is always a, a great time of the year, and it's really cool that we're going to have uh, all of the podcasts there as, as press. And if you wanted to sign up for the Rice Alliance OTC Startup Roundup, let me look at my email really quickly. Uh, they sent me an email saying it was kind of the last call due by March 17th. What's today? Okay. Okay. Just kidding. So if you want to go and watch 
If you want to look at some of the startups that are actually pitching, uh, look on the little flyer for OTC. It'll direct you to, because OTC is enormous if you've never been. Uh, it'll show you exactly where it is in Energy Arena, or I guess I guess the Energy Park. Um, it's a great time. So come out and check it out. Yeah, so if you're a school or university out there and you'd like Jake and I to come speak, or even better, we actually can bring the podcast to your university where your association can actually ask questions, uh, reach out to Jake and I. And also, if you're a trade association, your company, your conference, um, sales and marketing, uh, even your gym or car club, you know, reach out to Jake and I. We would love to come uh, bring the podcast to you. Uh, would love to share the details with you. Just uh, give us a quick, quick ring. We'd be happy to do so. And on to the news story. So uh, to start off, typically, you know, we say it's news stories. The first one's not actually a story. It's actually a blog post. We found this on Drilling Info. I think it was a fantastic article. And I think it's something that's extremely relevant and something that needs to be talked about. Um, so the article jumps into our operators facing off with the oil field service companies. Okay. So yeah. we've, we've seen the rig count go up over the past few years. Um, we talk about it on every single episode. You know, we have our whole segment about the rig count. We're seeing that. Um, but to kind of summarize, these returns are not, they're being realized by the EMPs, but they're not being kind of passed along to the service companies. Yeah, and this is a great article. Everybody should uh, go out and, and read this. Jake did a really good job finding this. This is something we've kind of talked about before, where a lot of the cost savings in this downturn is not so much real cost savings, but the fact that the service companies took low margin or even break even deals where just to keep their people working. And in some cases, you know, they were upside down in the deals. And so this goes into the deep dive um, into that. And the ENPs, the the, the, you know, the larger companies, the ones that were able to leverage the service companies. But that, I think, Jake, is getting ready to change. I think the service companies uh, pretty soon, probably the second, third quarter of this year, are actually start gaining the upper hand in that. Yeah, I mean, there's not. You think about it. There's not going to be many companies out there to do the work. We've already seen from 2014 to 2016, we've seen over 108 oil field service company bankruptcies. Right. So it's a, it's just a simple supply and demand. Whenever more and more of these companies are disappearing, there's going to be less of these oil field service companies actually around to uh, you know complete the wells. So what happens? You know, supply of the service companies is going to be low, and if prices remain stable, demand will remain high. But since the supply is low, the demand will go up, therefore prices will go up and the service companies will have the upper hand kind of in this dispute. So hopefully it doesn't go into a, a full-fledged war between the operators and the service companies. I'm hoping that they can kind of share the profit margins. Um, but I do think that oil field service companies have been squeezed for long enough. And I think it's time for them to finally realize uh, some of those returns. Yeah, and I think they will. If you go back to, you know, a while back, we talked about our predictions for 2017. It's one of the things that we brought in is we think there's actually be inflation, especially on land in North America. At the end of 2017, I don't think there's going to be enough pumps and people and parts to go around. And once again, this is where the service companies rule. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how the business uh, um, figures out how to work together. Um, but honestly, it's it's good for the service companies because they've been taking it, you know, they've been taking it on the head for, for just the last two and a half years. Yep. And so kind of speaking of that, um, this next article, I think it's a little bit, uh, I think it, there's two sides to it, right? And I think it's a little bit controversial. Um, so the author of this is saying that, uh, I guess, technological advancements only equates for 10% of actual um I guess production efficiency, I guess that's a good way to put it. Uh, and that the 90% is actually because of the service companies that just slash prices to survive. So these articles are kind of related. Um, I'm kind of curious to see what your take on this is. 
Yeah, so I, I don't agree with the author. The author is a, a geologist, right? A petroleum geologist, been in the industry for over, I think, 35 years. So, of course, he's going to see that the there's not a lot of new technology coming in in upstream, which actually is not true. But you got to look at the industry as a whole. There's a lot of new tech coming in, both in upstream and in midstream and in downstream. And uh, the, the technology is driving efficiencies, and those efficiencies then equate cost savings. Um, do I think his 90-10 number is accurate? No. Do I agree with him that a lot of the cost savings is because the service companies are squeezed? Yes, absolutely. Um, I think it's probably more like an 80-20 mix, but that 80-20 mix is going to change next year, Jake, to be 70-30 and so on and so on and so on. There is a lot of new technologies. I've never, you know, I've been in this industry 20 years. I have never seen our industry look at things like big data analytics, Internet of Things, machine learning, cognitive like they're looking at now because they all know that it drives efficiencies nobody's figured it out yet but we're going down the right road so good article i don't necessarily agree with the author i, I think there more efficiency has been driven by technology than he thinks that um that has but still he's he has a point in saying that you know a lot of the the cost savings has been the squeezing of the service companies which we talked about in the previous article yeah i completely agree i, I don't think it's uh definitely the 90 10 but i i agree with the uh, Kind of your forecast over over the next year, it's going to be more and more technological savings, and hopefully these service companies, as we just talked about, um, will you know start to raise prices again, um, and we'll see the rig count continue to grow. Hopefully, um, yeah. And the service companies are bringing new technology. They're the ones. They're the first ones that if there's a new technology, they can sell to their clients, which are the major operators. They're the first ones to adopt it. So I mean, I've I've you know, I could spend the next two hours talking about a lot of the new technologies I've watched the big service companies adopt or, or acquire uh, just to go sell to the major operators. So it's happening right under our feet right now. Yeah. And at the same time, though, if ENPs are paying bottom dollar for services currently, then that means that the service companies most likely don't have the money to necessarily reinvest in as much technology, right? And I think, so once those prices go back up, it's more investment in technology, which is hopefully going to pass on more savings to the operators. It's almost like a catch-22 yeah, so, in a way. Yeah, there's, there's an interesting uh, piece of this. So we, on the HSE podcast, we just recently interviewed somebody about the, the rig fleet out there, both on land and offshore. And one of the things that, that we were trying to get our hands around is, is this massive rig fleet, which has been mothballed, both on land and offshore, or is it going to actually come back online? Those rigs are less expensive to bring back online, but at the same time, a modern, higher horsepower, movable rig can actually drill faster and deeper, which is actually where the costs really are. So I think that a lot of these rigs that these service companies have are not come back online, that, that it's actually going to make fiscal sense to build newer, higher horsepower, higher tech rig, um, which then fits right into this, whereas it actually makes more money to pay a higher day rate for a rig that can drill 30% quicker because it has more technology. So keep our eye on this. This is, this is really cool stuff, but it, it, it manifests its way in, 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 in areas that you may not have thought of. I'm curious if they're going to move more towards a, a price per foot for drilling rather than a day rate, because once efficiencies get too good, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot. If you're taking what was once done in two weeks and, you know, breaking it down to like three days, right? Yeah. And, and that's going on right now. So yeah, it's, it's probably, you're probably going to see a transformation in the way that um, the drilling contracts actually price you know, renting their equipment. Once again, it's all good stuff. It's changing our industry that we need it. Maybe they can have like a SaaS model, but for drilling, <laughs> you just pay, pay a subscription. We'll just drill as much as you want. 
Yeah, that would be cool. <laughs> All right, next up, uh, OPEC is could be in trouble as the Saudis are becoming weary of free riders. So the Saudi energy minister, I'm not going to try to pronounce his name, said defin- definitively that his country will abide by no free riders, hoping to take advantage of Saudi cuts to ramp up their own production as the OPEC and non-OPEC producers did back in the 80s. Yeah, and, and so what he sometimes has a free ride is OPEC's power is its ability to, as members, as all the member com- countries, to either ramp up or ramp down production when they make a decision. And so, like any cartel, if somebody doesn't go along with that decision, then the power of the cartel falls apart. And so you have Iran, Iraq, uh, Libya, and Venezuela who probably will not go around along with what the OPEC decision is. Well, right now, that's not a huge deal because the amount of production those countries can put out is relatively small and so if they decide not to go along with it OPEC especially Saudi Arabia which is the, the largest member of OPEC can actually still either ramp production up or production down but Jake if in the near future like by 2020 these countries will actually have a sizable output and if they decide not to go along with OPEC cuts it'll totally fundamentally destabilize OPEC which is something that we think is happening actually right now so it's going to be interesting to see what how Saudi handles that yeah, I mean, they don't want to be the fool. They don't want to be the one really paying for all of this, you know, if nobody actually complies with the actual deal. Um, so if you are if you didn't listen to any of the previous podcast or you're kind of new to this, what had happened was they, OPEC had struck a deal. Was it about two months ago? Yeah, two to, months ago. Yeah, two months ago. And all of the countries agreed to uh, essentially production cuts or limits on the production with the exception of, I think it was Libya and... Well, they gave Libya and they gave Iraq um, some latitude to, to help grow their production because their yeah. production has been destroyed because of the wars that are going on there and the infrastructure is just gone. The other thing that you need to think about about the production cups is it was actually orchestrated by Russia. And as as a U.S. oil company, you really do not want the Russians cooperating with OPEC. They've always been competitors. You want to keep it that way because between the two of them, they're the biggest producers on the planet. So, um, you know, there's some geopolitical stuff going on here that hasn't worked its way out, but it's just something we need to keep an eye on. Yeah. So we saw the WTI and the Brent shoot up. Um, I guess it was more long-term confidence in the, in the prices, yet, as we're seeing kind of new reports of higher inventories, which we talked about, I think it was like two episodes ago, um, you know, we've seen, what has it been, like a 10% drop in prices over the last, what, two yep. weeks? Yep. And, and that's to be expected, um, you know, you don't want to set off alarm bells. It's we're in a true global commodity. You can see um, prices go up and prices go down. The thing that's interesting to me is how much of that is not driven by actual supply and demand, but driven by perception in the market. So a lot of the the uh, the price drops we've had in the last couple of weeks is actually a perception thing. That has nothing to do with supply and demand. So it should stabilize and start working its way back up relatively soon. Yeah. So in summary, OPEC is uh, stating that they are looking to extend their cuts past June. Um, so I guess they're being optimistic about the deal and and I'm hoping that most of these countries will actually comply, but I guess we'll see how that plays out. Right. Yeah. OPEC has some really smart people over there. (laughs) They know what they're doing. It's just how much control do they still have and how much control will they have in the future is like the key to all this. And I think the amount of control they have moving forward is going to be less and less every year. Yeah. So while we're on the topic of this, the next article is a, is a Forbes article and it's talking about how there's no way to enforce production discipline on the U.S. oil and gas industry. So, um, go ahead. Yeah, so this is actually a great article because it's true. Because we're in a free market, 
There is no OPEC in the U.S. And so operators look at what's going on and figure out if it makes uh, fiscal sense to actually go in production to put more product on the market. And so um, it's you hear a lot of people out there worried that as prices go up, you'll have people go put more in production. More production will then put more supply on the market, which will cause another downturn. And that's really not going to happen. Um, not, not now, anyway. Um, the production keeps pace with where companies can actually make money. And if we get more production on the market and the price starts to level out or fall, companies can't uh, make money, they stop production. So um, not something I'm real concerned about. It's, it's just part of our, our industry, but they're absolutely right. There is no way to enforce production discipline in our industry because we work on the free market principle. So if we keep producing more and more and more, so like, like we were just talking about with the last article, whenever all those articles came out saying that the inventories were high and then we saw the 10% drop in the, you know, the WTI and the Brent, what is kind of the solution there? I mean, because we, we want our EMPs to make as much money as possible, but at the same time, we don't want to drive down prices with too much supply. Yeah, and this this is like a really, really complex thing. I mean, it's um it's it's easy to look at supply and demand, but there are also things like geopolitics. So our current administration is actually proposing a tax, an import tariff, basically on imported crude. That could fundamentally change the business model here in the US because we can't really refine the sweet crudes we produce. We like the heavy complex crudes you get from Venezuela or Canada and the Middle East um, because it's much more economically viable. And quite honestly, we're, we're one of the few countries from a technology point of view that actually can even refine that stuff. So what, what happens is what, what happens when Jake, when if our, our current administration places an import tax on that crude? Well, a couple of things could happen. One is that the refineries could spend all the capex, billions of capex money to retrofit to refine the sweet crude that we have here. The problem with that is not just the spend to retrofit the refinery, but then the refinery is shut down. From a financial point of view, refineries never shut down. Pieces of them may go offline for planned maintenance repair, but they want that asset to run 24-7 a day making money. So you have to shut it down and retrofit it, which could be a huge fiscal impact to the company. The other thing is you hear nobody talking about is there's another source of the heavy crude, Jake, and that's deep water Gulf of Mexico. So it could actually spur our Gulf of Mexico deep water and ultra deep water business, which I've been saying is just dead for the next 20 years, if we actually place an, an import tariff on that heavy crude that a refinery is like. So I don't know where that's going to go. I don't, I, I don't have that type of crystal ball, um, but the complexities there are, are, are enormous. And so it's something we need to stay on top of, and, let's, and we'll see where this thing goes. All right, and up next, it's time for Mad Money with Mark LaCour. So why are oil <laughs> markets ignoring all these bullish signs? So this is another really good article that Jake found. So um, be real careful here, people. Um, and by the way, you know, disclaimer here, Jake and I are not certified stock uh, advisors. So anything we have here, if you invest on our words, it's up to you. <laughs> we, you know, <laughs> this is just what we think. Um, but, you know, we talked about this earlier. One of the scenarios that people talk about is as um, prices move up, you have more um, North American producers go into production, which will then lower costs because you're putting more product on the market. And then the problem is when people look at this stuff, they focus too much on the U.S. Um, uh, demand for crude, not understanding that we really don't like the sweet crudes that we produce in our own country. We'd rather sell those to other countries that like to refine that sort of stuff. And so um, you need to look more on things like um, things like Brent, right? Produced in the North Sea, Europe loves that loves that crude, and then the heavy complex crude that we pick up from the Middle East. 
And also you need to look at refined products. So don't just think of fuel. So don't just think of gasoline, diesel, jet fuel. Look at things like ethylene and uh, solvents and, and all these different things that come from crude oil, natural gas, fertilizers, plastics. And what is going on with that? So there's actually a big global demand for refined products. Um, and we're one of the few countries that actually can jump into that. So and this whole article is about how the oil markets are ignoring these bullish signs. It's not really what I think is going on. What's going on is the oil markets are responding to market pressure in a way that makes fiscal sense. So, um, you know, you know, one of the things that we talked about in our, our predictions is that we think that we're entering to a global ethylene shortage, which means that all these ethylene crackers are being pushed really hard to get in the market quickly so they can capture that market share and make a lot of money. So um, good article. Um, they go into some really deep financial detail stuff I really don't want to get into. Um, and they also don't talk about the difference in the hedging prices. But, you know, I think that if you look at what's happened over the last four four weeks and you look at how the refining margins are actually crept up these last four weeks, I, I think we're in a good place. So, um, you know, good article goes really deep. Um, I think we're OK. Uh, up next, are laid off workers and hiring managers on the same page or no? CNBC no. says that they don't <laughs> think so. Yeah, they're they're not at all. Yeah, and so and so CNBC is actually right, and this is the typical boom or bust cycle to go through. Jake, um, prices hit a low a low period for a while. Companies lay off mass amount of employees, and then as the price creeps up, they need to rehire these employees. But there's a constraint because a lot of these employees don't want to come back, which then drives prices up artificially, which means that next time there's a downturn, somebody that should be making one hundred fifty thousand dollars is making three hundred thousand dollars. He's the, he or she's the first to let go. Now, one of the things I think is interesting, this is my fourth downturn, and I have actually watched very large companies realize that they don't want to get back into this boomer bust cycle. And so they actually hung on to key talent longer than they should have, even to the point where it affected their share price, knowing that when the price of crude comes back, that if they had this talent in-house, it'll give them a, a competitive advantage. It's the first time I've ever seen this happen. Uh, but you know, good article talking about how what employees expect and what Hiring manager expect there's a delta there, and that delta is always an issue, and it's been an issue in this industry forever. The other thing that they touch on here, which I thought was cool because it's something we've talked about for a while, is that this downturn, one of the things that's different is a lot of the senior people that left, which historically always come back, they're not going to come back. And you combine that with the young people that entered this industry three or four years ago who got burned by this and found jobs in other industries, they're not coming back either. So talent shortage is huge, and it's going to be a major competitive differentiator in this industry. You know, Jake, one of the things that we do, Modal Point, every year for our own internal use is we ask about 890 uh, global mid-level managers in all aspects of the industry. We actually survey them and we ask them, when you look at your business over the next five years, in the future five years, what is the number one thing that you're concerned about as far as a threat to your business? And last year in 2016, in that low crude price market, guess what, Jake? 49% said lack of talent. So the industry as a whole know this is an issue. And, and there is no secret island of talent out there. And so I think this is another place where technologies could be adopted quicker than normal to deal with this low, this talent shortage that we're in and that we're go, this could be a major business driver in you know, the next um, 10 or 15 years. And I think this is, we know this is a problem. This is what we've talked about in the past. Uh, 
every time that there's a downturn, I think the first when they when they look to trimming the fat and improving efficiencies, I think the first thing that is to go is the people. And I think that's unfortunate. You know, I think there's other ways that they can improve efficiencies within their business. We've talked about that a thousand different times. Um, so if they weren't to get themselves in a situation to where they were overstaffed from the beginning, then I, I think we wouldn't have this problem. Yeah, and, and I agree with you. And one of the things, so if, if you look at that boomer bust cycle, and you imagine graphing it out where it peaks high and it, the valley's low and peaks high and valley's low, I think the changes in the culture in our industry, along with the adoption of new technologies, is going even out those peaks and valleys. We still will have it happen because we're in a global commodity industry. Um, but I think moving forward, we'll, we'll have less wide swings because we just, we, just we just can't afford to let that happen anymore. It's just there's not enough people coming into our industry to actually do the jobs. And once you start having technology solutions that helps ease this talent constraint, well, then the technology really has little or no cost compared to a person. So you basically can turn it on or turn it off depending on if you need it or not. So I think the future, the, the wild swings we've went through before are, are going to be moderate to actually a pretty good degree, which is good. It's good for all of us. Yeah, definitely. So it's the uh, railroad commissioner struggling to police conflicts of interest. Yeah, so audience, you need to go to the show notes and click on this. It's just for the really cool picture <laughs> on this article where they're actually, uh, uh, there's a gusher. It's a wooden derrick. It's probably done in the late 1800s, early 1900s. All the all-fill workers are dressed in suits. The ladies are in the heavy wool uh, dresses, and there's a gusher, really all gushing out of the ground, which is just you know, the history of the shell fields. A lot of people don't know that. Those shell plays are not new. That's where the Rockefellers made their money. That's where Standard Oil was born. And they would drill a shallow hole and the oil would come out under pressure and they called it a gusher. And then once all the gushers stopped, they go, oh, the fields are depleted. Not knowing that, you know, come back to 2015 and we'll have some new technologies. We're able to go back in there and tap that oil again. It's just it's a really cool picture, if nothing else. But the story's a good one. It's about the Texas Railroad Commission, which if you're outside of Texas, the Texas Railroad Commission regulates the Texas oil and gas industry. And there's a long history behind that that we don't have time to get into. But this article's about, is it, ethical for the Texas Railroad Commission who's chartered with regulating oil and gas industry to make sure everybody stays safe and make sure we protect the environment make sure business is done well is it okay for them to accept money from the oil and gas industry um, and, and, the, and the answer is yes of course it is right um, there's no better way to make sure that we protect the environment and protect Texas citizens than to make sure that the Railroad Commission has enough money to do its job properly and if you know the oil companies want to uh, donate the money then I, you know there is absolutely nothing wrong with that now of course there's some environmental groups um the, the sierra clubs first one pops in my head that says there's an ethical problem here and they're just trying to stir up trouble uh they don't really like the texas road commission and quite honestly the texas road commission probably doesn't like them either <laughs> um but you know this is um this is coming up right before there's a bill in the uh, texas uh, senate um, ex extending the Texas Railroad Commission's um, charter until 2029. So I think this is just a political move to try to see if you can take some teeth out of this to, to maybe perhaps remove the ability for the Texas Railroad Commission to have funding to do its job. And, you know, uh, tough. <laughs> they, I, they do a good job. And, and I, I know a lot of the, the members there. I know the railroad commissioner there. They really do a good job making sure they protect Texas interest and environment and the people that the citizens here in Texas. So, sorry, um, you know, it, this isn't legit. So speaking of environment, speaking of regulations, uh, this next article is claiming that as Trump targets energy rules, oil companies downplay their impact. Uh, so, go ahead. 
Yeah, so you found another really good biased article. It's from Reuters, of course, it's biased. <laughs> yeah, and so what they're trying to say is that by removing the, um, the I shouldn't say removing, by, by going back and helping change laws that make it uh, easier for oil and gas companies to do business, that which drives prosperity for everybody, at the same time making sure that we're environmentally responsible, that the oil and gas companies say it's not that big a deal. And, and literally what they're trying to do here is say that you know, Trump's removing the teeth from EPA doesn't really matter to somebody like Exxon or Chevron, which is wrong. And they actually skew the data. It's actually funny. So what they do is they take the amount of spend that companies like Exxon or Chevron or whatever spend on environmental issues, and they're using that to show as far as a percentage of profit that it's really not that big a deal. That's not how it works, people. <laughs> so when Exxon's operational cost, which is not covered in here, is in that operational cost is all this stuff where they have to worry about fugitive emissions, methane regulations, CO2 emissions. That's not even covered in here. So this is a good article where it shows how a, a, a biased person can take some data, which is the, the, um, the environmental spin by these big companies, and make it look like it's not that big a deal, which is not true. The, the changes that's happened in our last administration in, North, in, in the U.S. have actually really hurt the margins of the oil and gas industry. You go ahead and rewrite those or remove the ones that are a waste of time, you increase the margins, which means the oil and gas industry can be profitable at a lower dollar, which means they can hire more people, which drives prosperity for everybody, and also drives tax money for the states they operate in. So um, good job, Reuters, trying to skew it, but now I, I, I busted you. <laughs> So for the next one, it wouldn't be oil and gas this week if we didn't at least talk about one tech article. Uh, so this next article is about how submerged platforms revolutionizing oil and gas. So you got companies like Siemens and ABB are competing in the development of automated, unmanned, entirely submerged offshore oil and gas platforms. Hey, Jake, don't you think you and I might have talked about this a while I ago? I think we did. I think we did. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if this article actually heard us and decided to once they decided to write the article after. Most likely, this, but this is an oil price. But yeah, we've talked about this before. You know, the digital oil field is not new. You go look in the North Sea, and especially Shell and Statoil have a lot of their production facilities on the ocean floor, which is hostile, right? It's cold and a lot of pressure. But the thing is, Jake, it's constant. There's no storms. There's no anything. So you save you production. Yeah, to you move your production to the ocean floor, you can actually um, capitalize on a lot of stuff. And this is a really, really good article talking about how we're going to have more automation in these type of um, subsea processing where people are not involved, which is going to lower costs, which is exactly what you and I have talked about before on this. And it's happened right under our feet. And the thing I think is cool is when you think of Siemens and Airbnb, both of them are in process controls, but you don't really think of them as being an oil and gas processing company. Um, you think more of the subsea manufacturers, the FMCs and the Camerons and the Ackers, blah, blah, blah. But here's a good, good example of some tech companies coming in and f um, solving a problem in a way which actually makes them an oil and gas company. Uh, IBM's another one that's in the middle of this with, with their cognitive, with Watson. So I, you know, I would not be surprised, Jake, that in, say, 10 years from now, when we start talking about big oil and gas companies, you know, companies like Microsoft or IBM or you know, ABB pop out – pop up in the conversation, which normally you just think of them as a tech company. So, um, you know, future oil and gas production, especially in deep water and ultra deep water, is going to have to have uh, the ability to lower costs dramatically because it's just expensive oil right now. And this is a good article on showing how you can actually do that using technology, which is just really cool. That is so cool.
Well, that about it is really that cool. about wraps up the stories for today. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed it. We talked about a lot. I think that was probably more stories than we talked about normally. So now is the time we move on to our Red Wing bag winner. And we actually have two winners because Jake, you and I skipped a week. We didn't mean to. We, we had some issues with getting a, a, a one of our shows approved. So because we skipped a week, we have actually have two winners. So winner number one, Corey Hildick, professional land service. He's the owner. And then Kelly Lieber, prototype well planner. She's a well planner. So congratulations both to Corey and Kelly. You have won this awesome Red Wing offshore bag, which Jake just recently somebody offered me $600 for. That's insane. It is. That'd crazy. be tempting. Um, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it, it, it is tempting, but uh, we're not going to do it. It's not ethical. The only way you can get one of these bags is you have to go uh, to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. That's redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. Put in your information, and we give one lucky winner a, a, a week away. Or in the case when we skip a show, we do two in a week, but still, it's technically still one lucky winner. No purchase necessary. See official site for rules and details. So where are we on the rig count, Jake? So this week, continuing the trend, we're up 20 rigs for a total of 809. Yep. My 1,300 number by the end of the year doesn't look so scary. It doesn't. I I think you're going to be pretty accurate. We should probably start taking some bets on that. (laughs) Yeah. And so uh, let's talk about events on deck. So um, we have the API Young Professionals has a couple of events. You want to talk about that, Jake? Yeah. So we have our April lunch series on Thursday, April 27th, 2017. From 11.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. at the Zedeco Louisiana Diner with speaker Adam, mm, with speaker Adam, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, <laughs> yeah, uh, the vice president that. of human resources at Cameron International. So um, I'll throw a link in here for the RSVP um, so you guys can actually go in there and RSVP for that event. Uh, and then we also have uh, another event, which is the Training Development Center Tour on Tuesday, May 23rd, 2017. Uh, from 8.30 a.m. to 10.30 a.m. at Baker Hughes. So that's an event that typically you're not going to have access to unless you work there, or maybe if you're a client, they might show you that. Um, So it's a cool insider event. I'll throw the RSVP for that one up there as well. Um, So you guys can check out both of those. The events are fantastic, It's and it's really going to be a first-come, first-serve. Most of the time with these kind of events, we can only take maybe 25 to 30 people, um, with the exception of some of the larger events like they're out uh, the offshore rig uh, tour that we did, we had like 200 people show up. Um, but these are first come, first serve. So RSVP soon, uh, and that would be fantastic. Yeah. Hey, Jake, how much does it cost to join the API Young Professionals a year? Uh, I think it's like $25 a year for the entire $25. year. $25. You're, so you're part of Big Daddy API at that point. So yeah. you're getting into the luncheons. You're getting into all of our events. Um, and APIYP is very member-centric. We're driven by what the, what the members actually want to do. Um, we have a lot of really cool things in the pipeline, a lot of, a lot of uh, cool more tours, uh, and just a lot more events. Um, and speaking of that, you know, this is something that, in, in order for us to, to keep doing this with APIYP, we've been doing this for about two years, is we need sponsorships, really. Um, so if you're a company who is looking to sponsor some young professionals and helping us put on more events uh, and really just give back to the industry, uh, you can either reach out to myself and I can put you in contact with the sponsorship chair um, or just email directly through the uh, API website, which I'll put a link on there as well. Um, that would definitely yeah. help and it would give back to the, to the young professionals here in Houston. Yeah, and not just young professionals. So if you become a sponsor for API Young Professionals, you're actually a sponsor for API Houston, the largest API chapter in the world. So this is putting your company in front of a lot of very senior people in the oil and gas industry in the global epicenter of oil and gas, which is Houston, Texas. And the money goes for a good cause. So it's 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 a very good investment for both you and your company. 
Another event that's going on is uh, Tuesday, 28th, and Wednesday, 29th, is the Texas Open Innovation Conference. I think me and uh, Paige Wilson will be there as press, probably record a podcast or two. And if you'd like to learn about these events plus more, it's really easy. I have a monthly newsletter. Um, Jake, years ago, I could not find all the oil and gas events in one place, so I built it myself. Um, and we give it away for free. So Jacob put a link in the show notes. You go sign up, and once a month, we put all the oil and gas events in your inbox for Zilch. And if you like what we do, please leave us a review. You know, without reviews and without you guys listening, it's just Mark and I talking to each other. And let's be honest, that gets that gets old real fast, right? So uh, speaking of that, you know, we said if you give us reviews, we're gonna read read off a few. And so we have a few new ones. Um, so we have one from username Stokera said it's a must live, listen, five stars. Uh, they write, this is such a great podcast, excellent source for oil and gas news and analysis. The hosts are inter- interesting and entertaining to boot. Keep up the good work, Mark and Jake. Thank you. We really cool. appreciate it. Uh, another one is from Andy 61990, uh, another five star review. This is a very helpful podcast for staying on top of the oil and gas industry news, especially for someone who isn't located in Houston. And I found the monthly Q&A podcast particularly interesting since they cover a wide range of topics. Everybody loves the, the Q&As. So, you know, we'll keep coming at you with those. I think next week is actually going to be a first Friday Q&A. So if you have a question, write in, ask us a question. It's uh, in the show notes. Just click ask a question. Pretty simple. Yeah, and you guys go to our website, Oil and Gas. Um, wait, what's our website? Oilandgasthisweek.com? Yep, that's it. Yeah, oilandgasthisweek.com. Um, you can subscribe a gazillion different ways. We also have a way for you to enter your email address. Go do that. We'll never spam you. And this way, anything that we do that's extra, you'll find out about it first. We have a LinkedIn group, Oil and Gas Global Network, OGGN, which, Jake, we just got the logo redesigned, which is cool. Yes, we did. It looks fantastic. It's a part of a yeah, major so rebrand. Everybody- major rebrand and actually jake i think we're probably gonna do a rebrand pre-show of this show right new yep. artwork new music yeah yeah, yeah. so the so the new artwork is already released uh for some reason it's only showing up on some people's devices I've, I've realized that so that's out so if you have the new artwork cool tell me what you think of it uh if not maybe refresh podcast i'm not sure um but we'll also have some new music out soon so that'll be cool yep and then um other than that, if you can do us a favor, if you like the show, can you share it? Share it with your friends. Do that old company email blast. You know, everybody in your company, hey, here's a great oil and gas show. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, whatever. And Jake, we've been doing some um, oil and gas uh, Facebook live videos for oil and gas HSE, and we've gotten some really good feedback. So we're going to continue to do that. We could continue to innovate and bring new stuff to the market. We have new shows coming up, all good stuff. And then I guess other than that, are we ready to get out of here, Jake? I think so, man. That about wraps it up. All right. Yep, so folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time.